ज Sir, thank you very much for joining me in this program. My pleasure, Zaki, to be with you. Sir, my first question for you is going to be very generic and broad, so you may take as much time as you want. Do you consider the ongoing conflict, this sudden uh, conundrum that has emerged between Israel and Palestine, nothing new, obviously, but do you consider this particular instance to be a long overdue manifestation, or was it? Had it take, has it taken the region by total surprise? What are your views on this? Um, to be very frank, uh, Khalid, uh, uh, I think that this is um, uh, has taken a lot of people by surprise. I mean, obviously, this is a, a conflict that's uh, been going on for a long time. Everybody knows that. But I, I think this is specific uh, escalation that happened right now. I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise. and especially the israeli military and i think that this was unexpected um things were going in a very different direction i think the whole focus was on the evictions and the whole focus was on some of the jewish extremist groups that were or suddenly became active in jerusalem and uh came out and probably thought a confrontation with Palestinians and with Israeli Palestinians and uh and that that was the whole focus and of course you had the the eviction thing that's happening in Sheikh Jarrah the suburb so so i think everybody was caught by surprise everybody was focused and of course you had then you had this whole report by the human rights watch which was on israel being an apartheid state and so forth and the whole focus was on human rights and palestinian rights and all of a sudden you have a militant group hamas uh, uh barging in and uh i would say it hijacked the whole narrative and and turned it to somewhere else that's uh, a very interesting response from you because uh, speaking of hamas uh, now the israel defense forces the idf it has used the usual pretext of hamas sponsored uh, terrorism as Uh, justification for its air raids in gaza but on the other end if we uh, for the sake of uh, if we subtract the palestinian narrative there are many scholars of the middle east who are based in the west as well who are starting to believe that um, there had been a long effort by the israeli political opposition to prime minister benjamin netanyahu to get him out of power and he has been desperately trying to secure seats and uh, continue for another term including support from uh, his spy chief so basically to sum it up uh, some people believe that this is a wonderful opportunity for netanyahu to score some political brownie points and uh, perhaps make a last uh, ditch effort for face saving H- how do you analyze these conflicting claims now i fully agree with that i mean this is a golden opportunity for prime minister netanyahu there's no doubt about this i think this has been offered to him on a golden plate and i and who offered it actually it's, uh, it's really hamas 
I mean, there's no doubt that some of his base was, was, was trying to sort of, uh, as I said, there were some Jewish extremist groups that were condemned both inside Israel and outside Israel. And these uh, extremist groups aligned themselves with Prime Minister Netanyahu's base, and they sought a confrontation. There's no question about it. But, but to give Prime Minister Netanyahu this opportunity to play his strong hand was done solely by Hamas. I mean, there's no way around this. Uh, I, I would even go as far as saying that uh, I think uh, the Israeli government and the government of Prime Minister Netanyahu was on a back foot when it came to what happened in Jerusalem. The riots uh, that happened uh, that were started by right-wing uh, ultra-nationalist Jewish groups, uh, it put uh, the prime minister uh, on a back foot and uh, with the HRW report and with the evictions issue in Sheikh Jarrah, the suburb of Jerusalem. I think these three things had put the prime minister on a back foot. And I think here comes Hamas and, uh, and, and, and shift the whole narrative to, to, to something else, uh, raining all these rockets uh, from uh, Gaza to, to uh, inside Israel. And, and, and shift the whole narrative and give the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, the opportunity to do whatever you describe. So, so you know, for me, it's, it's, it's very hard to, uh, you know, just, just walk around the elephant in the room. And, and that is Hamas. And, and it's interesting that not many people really talk about what could be the, the objectives of Hamas. Because uh, on the face of it, of course, they say they're doing it for Palestinian rights. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, uh, if stealing the narrative away and focused away from the evictions of Sheikh Jarrah and the whole focus on what happened in Jerusalem and, and the evictions uh, and taking it to uh, Hamas rockets and the ceasefire and turning it into sort of a bilateral thing between a militant group that controls a territory, uh, Gaza, and, and, and a state, Israel, and turning the whole issue into this bilateral thing between a, a militia and a, and a state. I'm not sure how this helps uh, Palestinian rights. I, I, I'm really doubtful about this. And I think anyone who really has the best interest of the Palestinians in his heart, and I do, I've, I've grown up with the Palestinians. I was, uh, I, I, I was lucky actually to grow up in a country that saw the birth of the Palestinian national movement, the birth of the, Palesti of the Palestine Liberation Organization, the launch of uh, uh, President Yasser Arafat, and, and, and uh, the largest uh, Palestinian diaspora actually, uh, the second largest probably after Jordan, uh, and, oh, and I'm, I'm referring to Kuwait basically. So basically anyone who has the best interest of the Palestinians at heart would actually also advise the Palestinians to look at uh, the fact that they already have tremendous international support. There's no doubt about this. But at the same time, they have a distraction. And that distraction uh, manifests itself in a militia group that has its own agenda. It might, uh, at face value, say that it's uh, really fighting for Palestinian rights. But I think it's a whole different subject. Everybody knows it's a militant group, dubious. A lot of things. Uh, so I, I, th I think it's, it's time really to talk about that as well. Coming to uh, the region, if we zoom out a bit, 
we have to see things from the perspective also that uh, Israel was recently uh, approved for relocation to the U.S. Central Command from European Command because that is a major transition for the U.S. military establishment. And this raises a lot of uh, pertinent questions as to the fact that now the Central Command Commander, uh, General Kenneth McKenzie, is going to be overlooking. But while uh, this development was approved in January 2021 and the Israelis were looking forward to join Arab Gulf countries and Pakistan as part of Central Command, uh, one particular news group, Al Arabiya, with which you have also been associated, uh, it published a report recently and claimed that because of this ongoing conflict, uh, some insiders were quoted by Al Arabiya that perhaps Washington will defer this transition and will not bring Israel into central command unless this uh, situation simmers down. Do you think, do you actually believe that could be the case or is this a too minor of a thing to uh, impact Washington's own uh, national interests? Right. Well, uh, Zaki, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure what the latest thinking is, but I do recall that the Pentagon did defend Israel's right uh, to defend itself. And uh, the strong support is there. And, and, and they, they've just approved uh, um, a, a sort of um, approved uh, a, an arms deal, a weapons deal uh, for Israel. So, so I, I don't see much change. But having said that, the Biden administration does have and the Democratic Party does have a very strong base that favors getting tough with Israel. And um, not to get into any conspiracy theories really, but, uh, but I think the, a lot of people in the Biden administration were not happy with the fact that Israel seems to be leading the, uh, the, the choir that is against uh, the US rejoining the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA. And, uh, and Israel is an important part of the regional opposition. There are many countries that oppose a return to the nuclear deal without looking at Iran's malign activity in the region and the missile program in addition to the nuclear program. Uh, uh, but, but the original JCPOA does not really cover those things. And Israel was uh, was uh, lobbying to include those things. And there are many other countries in the region doing that as well. And I think that somehow this, um, uh, this conflict, which again, I would say was started by Hamas, uh, uh, somehow it distracts Israel's attention away from the Iran nuclear deal and, and makes Israel possibly, I'm not sure yet, we are not sure, uh, none of us really is so far because we're yet to see what happens next. But, but I think that this conflict distracts Israel and reduces Israel's ability to sort of possibly put up the same kind of robust opposition to Iran nuclear deal uh, the way Israel was doing before these events. And, and let's not forget when Israel was opposing Iran, a return to Iran nuclear deal without including the missile program and Iran's malign activity in the region and the militias and so forth, when Israel was doing that, it was relying on support from many allies in the region that agreed with Israel uh, on, on this point uh, when it comes to Iran. And this includes both the Arabs and includes both, uh, and also Turkey. And I would, maybe a couple of other countries as well that are not so open about it. Uh, 
But with this situation right now, and with the fissures that have emerged now uh, between Israel, again, between Israel and Turkey, and of course, uh, between Israel and the member states of the Arab League and the OIC, uh, would this weaken Israel's ability to oppose the U.S. return to JCPOA without including the missile program and Iran's malign activity? It's a very interesting point. I think we need to watch that. So I would strongly say that Hamas's military engagement of Israel somehow reduces Israel's ability to put forth a kind of robust opposition to a return to JCPOA uh, minus uh, Iran's malign activity in the missile program and also creates problems for Israel's other potential allies in the region. I understand that Turkey would have supported Israel uh, when it came to this point on Iran and also several Arab countries and maybe a couple of other countries in the region that may not be very open about this at this point. Uh, but this whole thing really messes the, the, the whole picture. And, and I, would, I would suggest, I would say, we, we need to watch this. We're not sure of this. I'm not sure of this yet. Speaking of uh, potential allies in the region, uh, after the signing of Abraham Accords and uh, normalization of ties with uh, some certain Arab countries, uh, do you believe it is uh, justified for some, uh, for the Muslim world, especially Muslim majority countries to place the onus of responsibility on those particular Arab countries to find a solution to this conundrum? Or do you think that it, um, it's not that camp alone that has to bear this responsibility? Uh, from my watching the Palestinian conflict, Zeki, for, for a long, long time, uh, those countries have always been involved. In, in the Palestinian conundrum, the Palestinian-Israeli conundrum. So for me, I don't see them having disconnected in any way. The Abraham Accords, uh, I don't see them as having sort of cut off those countries, the Arab countries, from whatever happens in the Palestinian territories and in the conflict itself. Um, the, for example, let, let's take for example, the United Arab Emirates, continues to be the, the I think, one of the, uh, one of the top five countries in the world, or top six, uh, that continue to support and help uh, Palestinians financially and politically and diplomatically, like they've done over half a century. Um, nothing has changed. Uh, Egypt uh, signed, was the first Arab country to sign a peace treaty with Israel, and they're strongly involved in the Palestinian conflict. So, so if everybody involved in the Palestinian conflict, I, I think the presumption that somehow because of the recent peace accords between some Arab countries and Israel, those Arab countries somehow cut themselves off and, and are out of the conflict, it's, I, I think it's a wrong reading of the, of the Abraham Accords. Uh, on the contrary, but if I, I, I may, say on the um, contrary, but if I may politely... But if I may politely interject, if I may politely interject and ask you, you mentioned the UAE. Now the UAE is not just signed uh, the accord, but it has actually uh, incurred some investments, significant investments into Israel, such as uh, shipping and other sectors. So do you think that it, it could have um, exercised some sort of leverage into bringing out a favorable response or a compromise from Israel into sitting across the table with the uh, Hamas, for example. 
Oh, definitely. It creates a leverage. There's no question about it. But let me just correct you on one thing. I, majority of the states, Arab and Muslim states in the region do not support Hamas. So the assumption that somehow Arab and Muslim countries would intervene to save Hamas, that's not going to happen. Uh, yes, they will intervene to, to save Palestinians, and they will intervene to, to help Palestinians, but they will not intervene to save Hamas. I remind you, I remind you that uh, almost all of the statements issued on this uh, Gaza situation by all the major Arab and Muslim countries did not expressly mention any support for Hamas. They supported Palestinian, Palestinian rights and uh, they supported uh, a stop of uh, the death toll that the Palestinians are incurring. None of these statements supported Hamas. Uh, so so it's, it, you have to be very clear. For you to say, or for anyone actually, for me to come here to say that somehow those Arab countries that signed recently went into diplomatic ties with Israel would somehow exercise leverage to sort of bring peace between Hamas and Israel? I don't think so. Uh, Hamas uh, is considered a militant group. It does not get to decide when the whole Muslim world goes into war. That decision is not up to a militant group. That decision belongs to the Arab League. That decision belongs to uh, the OIC. That decision belongs to Turkey, to Saudi Arabia, to Pakistan, to Egypt, to Jordan. Uh, I don't think uh, any of these uh, states have ceded their sovereignty or their decision-making process to, to a militant group uh, with, again, as I would say, with a dubious agenda uh, to decide when the whole region goes into war. That, that is not going to happen. Um, speaking about uh, Hamas and uh, the support, it, whether or not the support it enjoys in the Muslim world, uh, I've been witnessing some trends and online campaigns going on over the past few days in Pakistani cyberspace and across the Indian subcontinent. Uh, there are some elements that are sympathetic to Iran that are trying to uh, project Hamas as the sole defender and liberator of Palestine. And they're also, in fact, uh, constantly trying to diss Arab states and uh, the OIC for their uh, purported failures in trying to resolve the issue. And they're also actually, their main focus is also on the Abraham Accords. Um, so what, what do you think about that? Because when we talk about the Arab media, the Arab narrative, the Arab sentiments, you are more uh, experienced in that. You are familiar with the language. You uh, you are connected to their analysts. What is the perception in the Arab world? What do they think of Hamas? And how much of uh, a narrative difference is there between people in the subcontinent and those in the immediate periphery of Israel? So this is a very interesting question, Zaki, that you ask about Hamas presenting itself as a sole defender of Palestine and Jerusalem of uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, there's one thing that a lot of the people who are following this conflict in Gaza are overlooking, which is the internal Palestinian political dynamic. When the uh, events unfolded of the last Friday of Ramadan inside Masjid Al-Aqsa uh, in Jerusalem, one of the first things that came to my mind Quite honestly, Zeki, I'll be very honest. One of the first things that came to my mind was really not the Palestinian-Israeli 
conflict or dynamic. One of the first things that came to my mind was actually the conflict between the subtle, the simmering conflict between Palestinians who support Hamas and Palestinians who support the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian government, President Mahmoud Abbas, uh, Ramallah, the, the Palestinian Authority. So, so what I saw, in addition to the usual tension between Palestinians and Israelis, I also saw Hamas trying on that day, May 7th, Friday, last Friday of Ramadan, I also saw Hamas trying to enter the turf of Fatah movement, the Palestinian Authority, the PLO, and present itself as the, as you said, the defender of Palestinians. A lot of people forget that this is the year of the Palestinian elections. The elections were supposed to take place this year. They've been postponed for the time being. They could happen by the end of this year, next year, but they're going to happen. So what I saw, when I saw May 7 happening that night, late at night, yes, there were a lot of tensions between Israel and Palestinians, the evictions, the, the whole, the ultra-nationalist Jews marching in Jerusalem and so forth, but there was also the element of Hamas entering uh, Fatah and uh, Palestinian government's turf. So this is also a turf battle. And uh, when I say that Hamas tried to hijack everything that's happening in Jerusalem, and take it all the way to Gaza and shift the whole narrative. Uh, one of the things that benefits uh, Hamas is actually positioning itself as the next uh, winner of Palestinian elections. Uh, so, so this is a very important dynamic that I'm sure people, most people in Pakistan are not aware of, but it's also missed really uh, internationally, but, but not in the Arab region. See, in the Arab region, Nobody has lived with the Palestinian conflict more than the Arabs. Uh, they've been with this conflict. Nobody hosted the Palestinians more than the Arabs did. And uh, I will not say that the Arabs spent the most on the Palestinians because that honor, frankly, goes to, number one, the United States, which has been for 50 years the biggest spender on Palestinian healthcare, Palestinian Indeed. education, Palestinian rehabilitation, everything, the whole services. So the United States of America, which by the way, is demonized everywhere, especially in the Western media, not just in the Arab media, not just in Pakistan, but also in the Western media is demonized as really this anti-Palestinian uh, country that is supporting suppression of Palestinians. America is the biggest spender in history on Palestinian rights, on healthcare, and, and everything. So the honor of spending on Palestinian goes to the U.S., number one. Number two goes to the European Union. The Europeans have been the second largest spender on the Palestinians for half a century. The third from the Muslim world. Let's be very clear uh, on this, uh, Zeki. From the Muslim world, among the top 20 biggest spenders and supporters of Palestinians, the top 20, only three Muslim countries are in the list. And this is not my list. This is the UN list. Uh, uh, it's, it's a very open list. It's available at the UN website. The only three countries that have been the, in the list of the top 28 givers to the Palestinians have been, uh, number one, Saudi Arabia, number two, the United Arab Emirates, and number three, Kuwait. So these three countries, but this does not take away the, the contribution of Jordan, 
the contribution of Egypt and the contribution of Morocco, which, which chairs the Jerusalem Committee in the OIC. All the maintenance work you see that happened in Masjid al-Aqsa over the last 60, 50, 60 years, uh, the, the Muslim and the Christian Palestinian holy sites, the maintenance, uh, looking after the, the people, the families that look after those sites, uh, have been uh, happening through these channels. So the Arabs have been involved in this conflict. And how the Arabs see this conflict, uh, you, there's, a, there's a huge shift. You, know, you have to understand this. Arabs support Palestinian rights. There's no question about it. But there's a lot of uh, debate on whether Hamas really is the representative uh, or the defender of Palestinian rights. Yes, uh, as you know, uh, radical politics uh, always have uh, a ready audience in our region for many, many reasons, including in Pakistan, obviously. So when you have a, 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 a militant group like Hamas, it will have uh, lots of people supporting it. But but in the Arab media, in the Arab uh, uh, among the Arab intellectuals, the influencers, the, 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 the analysts, the decision makers, people in government, uh, I, th I don't think that Hamas has that kind of support that you see maybe in the public. Um, and and uh, lots of the heroics, things that Hamas is doing that are considered to be heroics are seen as, by many actually, as hurting the Palestinian cause and pushing the Palestinian cause backwards. Palestine and the Palestinians have the most uh, uh, support of any cause that I know of anywhere in the world. Uh, I've worked very closely with Kashmiri activists, and I wish the Kashmiris could have 5% of the kind of support that the Palestinians get worldwide. Uh, and, and, uh, and I don't think that Hamas really adds anything to that. Hamas does not add anything to that support. Uh, Hamas has no role, frankly, in, 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 uh, in, in this huge support that the Palestinians get. And I think that the Palestinians were about to really achieve a major political win with regards to evictions, with regards to ultra-nationalist uh, Jewish uh, extremists, for example, marching in Jerusalem. Lots of good things were, were about to happen for the Palestinians when Hamas really jumped right in the middle and, and shifted the narrative. So, so this is the Arab media. Now, when you come, Iran is a very important point. I, before I move to Pakistan, I just would like to mention very quickly Iran. Iran's role, see, Iran is not the yes. first... It's not the first country that would be cashing in and capitalizing and exploiting Palestinian misery. The list of people who exploited Palestinian misery and made money and name on Palestinian blood is a long list. I, it's, you know, we have 70-year history, so we can list lots of people. But Iran, especially after 1979 with the with the uh, with the advent uh, with the seizure of power by the by the um, ayatollahs by the what what I call the Khomeinists, uh, the Khomeinists when they took power basically they turned exploiting Palestine into an art form. Just take one example and I'll move forward, which is the Al Quds Force. It's named after Jerusalem. It's named after Masjid Al Aqsa, Al Quds Force. But the entire Absolutely. focus of the IRGC. The, the IRGC, Al-Quds Force, of course, is the external arm of the IRGC. Yes. And, and Al-Quds Force, named after Jerusalem, named after Palestine, 
is focused really on Yemen, is focused on Iraq, is focused on Syria, Lebanon, and Afghanistan. Uh, the drones that the IRGC and Quds Force develop, they are made to target Jeddah, Saudi cities, Riyadh, Mecca, but uh, they're quiet when it comes to Israel. And I was really amused to watch uh, uh, the Iranian foreign minister, whom I really admire. I think he's an amazing diplomat. He's a great scholar. He's a great guy, uh, amazing person, but he's in the wrong place, unfortunately. And, uh, and uh, 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 Foreign Minister Jawad Zarif in the OIC special summit on the situation in Palestine, I was really am amused when he, when he made a statement that basically said, uh, we are willing as Iran to work with all members of OIC on all political and legal measures to help the Palestinians. And I was really amused. And I, was, I, I thought maybe if I, were, if, if I had a seat on that table, I would have loved to ask, uh, ask Prime Minister, uh, Foreign Minister uh, Zarif, what about Al-Quds Force? See, see the, the Saudis, the Turks, the Pakistanis, nobody actually claimed that they've made an army specifically to liberate Palestine. They can't. But the Iranian government did, and it celebrates Al-Quds Day annually, and uh, all of its militias across the region march on that day, and it has Al-Quds Force. So where are they now? Why have they helped Hamas throw all these rockets on Israel and have all these uh, uh, Gaza residents get killed and while they sit quiet and all their militias in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen are quiet. So that's the Iranian role. Not the only country that exploited Palestinian blood, but definitely uh, one player that elevated exploiting Palestinian cause to an art form. And I conclude now by Pakistan, your, the third uh, point of your question. See, uh, let's be very frank, Zeki, here. I mean, we both are from Pakistan, so let's be very frank. I love my country. You love uh, uh, our country. We love our country. But Pakistan has no role in the Palestinian conflict. We in Pakistan and the Palestinians never had any role in the Palestinian conflict over the past 70 or 80 years, none whatsoever, beyond probably just taking diplomatic positions at international forums, which we did, which is the right thing to do. I'm not uh, underestimating or undermining that. But the fact is, other than that, we've never been a player. We cannot do anything. I mean, even now, look at the irony of the Pakistani government organizing state-sponsored protest on May 21 to protest you know, on the streets, in a country that has a very bad experience with street protests, by the way, and we have the experience of what happened with anti-Europe and anti-France protests recently. And that's what a country the size of, and I think it's ridiculous for, for, for a country the size of Pakistan, with the kind of uh, influence that Pakistan should have, that we are making do with a state-sponsored protest, whereas the real player and actors are countries like, for example, Egypt which is engaging both Hamas, the Palestinian Authority, and the Israeli government. And even the United States and Europe is depending on Egyptian mediation. I would assume maybe the uh, Turkish government might also be doing something in the background because it has a good relationship with all the three key players, Israel, Hamas, and the Palestinian government. You will notice anyone who can really contribute something to helping Palestinians has relations with the key parties involved. A country like Pakistan that does not have any relationship, frankly, 
with, with, the, with the parties on the ground, with the exception of the Palestinian Authority. And our relationship with them stops at the, at the, at the uh, diplomatic level. That's it. Uh, we, we don't, we, and maybe to a certain extent, we help them train some of their diplomats in our academies in Pakistan. And we train some of their police force and some of their soldiers. And that's it. Uh, very limited, by the way. Good, but very limited. So we, Pakistan does not have... I think, I think again, Pakistan, many Pakistani politicians, uh, I think it takes leadership to tell the truth to the people. And I think a politician who's out there to get vote is not going to do that. We can discuss that. A politician won't do that. So our politicians are basically playing to the gallery, uh, nothing more. But the fact of the matter is Pakistan has no role. And let, let's be very blunt and let me be, be very open. Unless Pakistan has direct diplomatic relations with Israel and Pakistan has direct, very activist role and presence with the Palestinian Authority and we are present, we should be present in either Ramallah or in Tel Aviv, like the Turks are, like the Emiratis are, like the Sudanese are, like the Egyptians are. Unless we do that, we have no role. We have absolutely no role whatsoever. Uh, even I, I, I was really amused and I was feeling sorry that one of the good philanthropists and charity workers in Pakistan, Faisal Edi of the Edi Foundation. In the Edi Foundation. Exactly. When he decided to maybe go and see the situation on the ground in Gaza and maybe, you know, uh, contribute and help. He couldn't do that. He didn't even know where to go, whether to apply for a visa with the Egyptians, with the Jordanians, with who exactly. And that's only because Pakistani diplomacy and the Pakistani state does not have a presence. It does not have a presence in, in, in Ramallah. It does not have presence in Tel Aviv. We cannot help if we don't have a presence. So we have no role. And frankly speaking, beyond statements and maybe occasionally helping the Palestinian government when they needed our vote inside the OIC and in, at international forums, mainly, of course, the United Nations, and uh, when we were members of the uh, rotating members of the non-permanent members of the UN Security Council. Beyond that, uh, Pakistan is not a player. None. Not at all. And let me add to you and to the knowledge of many Pakistanis that there were times when some of our governments, Pakistani governments, did want to play an activist role. And it was our Palestinian friends who suggested for us to stay away because we are not a key player and that they are very comfortable having the United States, the European Union, Egypt, and the major Arab countries actually play a direct role with Pakistan and politely asking Pakistan basically to limit uh, its support to uh, diplomatic support basically. So, so we don't have a role really. So I, I'm really very amused to see how the Pakistani public opinion is worked up. And it's mainly because of religious reasons, as you rightly pointed out. It's mainly for religious reasons. And I think it's dangerous for the Pakistani government to, to raise the expectations of the Pakistani public. And I see, for example, right now, the government of Prime Minister Imran Khan, it's very good what he's doing. We need to uh, register our support for the Palestinians, our concern for what's happening because it affects regional peace, global peace, and of course the rights of the Palestinians. That's all very, very well. But 
to raise the expectations of the Pakistani public opinion and designate a day on May 21, which is a Friday, by the way, uh, and designate a day for protests, uh, state-sponsored, uh, no less, uh, in a country that just came out of very, very disastrous uh, uh, anti-France uh, protests that, again, were partially, in a way, were also government-sponsored uh, and went really bad. Uh, I think we need not to raise the expectation. We need to introduce an element of uh, rationality, of an element of reason. And while I'm saying this, uh, Zeki, let me also just say this. Uh, Arab League, not so much the Arab League, but more, more, more the OIC and governments like the Pakistani government, they make themselves irrelevant to what's happening in Palestine. They make themselves irrelevant when their statements are really made to play to the gallery and not actually to solve the situation on the ground. So while it's right to, to be very, very concerned at the high casualty rate of the Palestinians, uh, the Hamas rockets on civilian populations in Israel is also an issue. No country in the world can allow a non-state actor to, uh, to uh, execute this kind of warfare against the state. Pakistan certainly did not allow the TTP, which is the Pakistani Taliban, to do it. Pakistan did not allow the militant wing of a political party in the city of Karachi, the largest city of Pakistan, to do it. Saudi Arabia did not allow, and the Yemeni government did not allow a militia in Yemen, which is the Houthis, to do it. There is no way that uh, the Palestinian Authority and the Israeli government would be happy and, and for Hamas, for a militant group, to also be raining rockets on population centers. Uh, so while it's right to condemn the high death uh, casualty rates uh, because of the Israeli strikes in Gaza, it's also, I, th I think governments like Pakistan and the OIC make themselves irrelevant to the cause and make themselves and put themselves on the sidelines when they take a partisan stance that does not really address the situation on the ground. Which brings me to the last question, and uh, I have reframed it a bit now in view of your response. So, am I correct in uh, inferring that, according to your perspective, that Pakistan cannot be an influencer or a stakeholder in this? The recent, uh, I find it unprecedented that uh, Pakistan's foreign minister, Mr. Shah Mahmood Qureshi, has gone on an ambitious program along with his Turkish counterpart, Mr. Maulu Chavusholu. And uh, I've just recently seen some tweets in which the Tunisian FM uh, has also joined them. They're going with a Palestinian ambassador to the UN. So that overdrive which you see, um, permit me to ask this, do, is that all for the consumption, uh, just to uh, satiate uh, domestic, the domestic audience and just for the optics? Or because uh, as you point out in your perspective, that's not Pakistan's role at least is not going to yield anything. Turkey recognizes Israel. Tunisia has some sort of communication going on. Pakistan does not have any channel going on. So what, what is all this, if I may, may ask you in conclusion? Is all of this just optics? All the, as you said, all the countries you mentioned that are going on this Palestine mission to, the, to, to New York 
have some sort of relations with Israel, all of them. And and you you mentioned Tunisia, on the last uh, ten days of Ramadan, which are which are which are, for Muslims are of of really uh, extreme importance for Muslims, very very important religious days for all of us for Muslims. The last ten days, the Prime Minister of uh, of Tunisia joined a very important Jewish religious festival that took place in a very historical synagogue uh, in, in Tunisia that saw Tunisian Jews and Jews from the outside also travel and join that event with the Tunisian Muslim prime minister joining that event on the last day on the last in, in the last 10 days of Ramadan so as you said all of these countries actually have some sort of relationship with Israel Tunisia does not have a diplomatic relationship but has a very very strong other channels with uh, with Israel and has Indeed. a very 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 robust uh, Jewish Tunisian uh, community and of course Turkey and, and 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 even Sudan the Sudanese foreign minister who joined the Pakistani foreign minister in this trip to New York was coincidentally returning from Paris where president Macron was lobbying for the international community to to uh, uh, to waive the debts uh, about 50 billion dollars of uh, of his country Sudan and and of course France uh, the the Sudanese foreign minister was coming from France a country which the Pakistani foreign minister's boss our prime minister wants to rally the Muslim countries to boycott so so you know the whole scene is full of so many contradictions. I don't know where to begin. So, so in the case of Pakistan, it's quite obvious that uh, our government is playing to the gallery. There's no doubt about this. There's nothing that the Pakistani government can do in this situation. None, none that I can see in my limited knowledge. If there's if there's something that's that's been readied or cooked in, in behind the scenes let's see let's see maybe 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 i'll be proven wrong and we all will be surprised but but i'm fairly certain of all the countries that you mentioned that are, that are going that are gone to new york and it's a good exercise it's good to register your diplomatic position and to lobby it's a good thing but but of all the countries you mentioned the only country the nuclear armed country with with a very strong influence in the region pakistan is a, is no small country pakistan is a very small important country it can play a role but unfortunately in this conflict we have no role whatsoever and this is what we need to tell our people pakistan does not have a role and um, maybe it's it's a troubled government in islamabad that is facing so many problems within its government and with the opposition that is trying to sort of you know escape outside and 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 trying to sort of present a strong face in front of the people or I don't know what they're trying to do. I'm not sure. I know what the Turkish game plan is and I know what the other countries are doing. I'm, I'm still, I'm sitting in Islamabad, honestly, Zeki, and, and you're also sitting in Islamabad. And honestly, I have no idea what is the agenda of Prime Minister Imran Khan's government. What is he exactly trying to achieve? Because we have no cards in our hand. We have, we don't even have, I would I would dare to say that 99.8% of Pakistanis never met a Palestinian in their lives. They never met a Palestinian. We do not have any cultural exchange with Palestinians. I do. You probably do. A few Pakistanis do who lived outside, who went outside, or maybe interacted with Palestinians. A majority of Pakistanis, including a lot of people, by the way, in 
in, in the government and in and, and, and places of important positions of uh, decision making in politics have not met uh, or seen the situation on the ground in the West Bank in Jerusalem. Uh, I would dare to say when it comes to even on Israel, maybe the positions of Pakistanis are far more extreme than the positions of Palestinians. Uh, at least the Palestinians have recognized Israel. Uh, and, and despite everything that you see happening right now between the Palestinians and Israel, the conflict, the, the Gaza, the casualties, everything, they have direct communications, including Hamas. They have direct communications with Israel. Uh, all the roads, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure everybody is watching and seeing all these high rises in Gaza and the West Bank and, and the nice infrastructure, the streets and everything. The money that is spent all of that, in addition to the international aid, it's also spent from revenue that every month Israeli government transfers to the Palestinian government, which in turn spends it on the services provided to the Palestinian people. So there's so much interaction and interdependencies between Palestinians and, and uh, Israelis. Pakistanis don't know that there are a large number of Palestinian uh, Palestinians are Israeli citizens. And their members if I may add, because there are a lot of people uh, online also, there are a lot of divisive elements, some people from the left wing, some people who are from the conservative, some in the center, and some of the more uh, open-minded uh, people who have uh, knowledge of history, they have actually been opining and trying to emphasize rather that uh, the Palestinian cause, it's a nationalist struggle, it does not have anything to do with religion, whereas in our part of the world, we turn it into something of a a religious issue. Oh yeah. The Palestinians for the Palestinians, yeah. obviously, it's an issue of uh, territory and uh, sovereignty, as compared more to uh, religious doctrine. That's why. That's why some of our diplomats, Pakistani diplomats, I, they might be retired now. They were shocked when, at one point, uh, I'm not sure exactly the date of when this happened, but usually Pakistan's permanent representatives to the United Nations are the ones who read uh, uh, the statements on behalf of the OIC uh, on the Palestinian conflict. So at one, uh, one such uh, instance, uh, a draft was being approved uh, to be read out by the Pakistani permanent representative and the Palestinian ambassador objected. You know why? The Palestinian representative objected because the Pakistani draft spoke in terms of this cause being religious and that we need to stand by Muslim Palestinians and defend Muslim religious sites in Palestine. And the Palestinian representative objected and he said, we cannot approve this statement if you do not add, if you remove that this is, you know, the insinuation that this is about Muslim Palestinians. Because this cause, the Palestinian national movement includes equally Palestinian Christians, and the Palestinian national struggle is for Muslim and Christian holy sites. And even now, the Jordanian sponsorship of holy sites in Palestine, including Masjid al-Aqsa, specifically includes uh, Muslim and Christian sites. And if you watch, if you were to watch the state channel of Palestine, the satellite broadcast, you'd see that they very very clearly uh, uh, sort of stay away from turning this into a religious conflict and they make it a national, national liberation, nationalist uh, a, a conflict, uh, a nationalist movement. 
unfortunately, it's really very sad. I, and, I, and I again hold Pakistani government officials responsible for this, for raising expectations, for twisting it, you know, for playing to the gallery or maybe to get votes. That it's, it's very unfortunate, for example, to see the incident that happened a couple of days ago in London, where I would assume, I'm not sure, I claim that people of South Asian background came out on London streets and called for the rape of Israeli women. And in their minds, this was the right way to defend Palestinian cause. In their That's mind. very unfortunate. Uh, and, and I'm very happy to see uh, members of the uh, British Parliament uh, of South Asian origin, specifically of Pakistani origin, condemn this very, very clearly and call it anti-Semitism. Uh, so, so it's in this incidence gives you a clear example that unfortunately the vast majority uh, in, in countries like Pakistan, unfortunately, because of the way it's politicized and presented, uh, uh, consider this a religious conflict. And, and instead of defending the rights of Palestinians, uh, they venture to, uh, to criticize and attack the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, and the Jewish people. Uh, which which are two different things. I mean, so so and, and we can of course discuss this. That that would be a long discussion. But to cut it short, uh, I think in a country like Pakistan, it's very very dangerous for us to take this to take the religious route and radicalize a population that is already very very disturbed for the right reasons. It's 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 right. We are disturbed for. What's happening to the Palestinians? We stand by them. We support them for religious reasons, for moral reasons. That's the right position to take, but it's being done the wrong way. And again, as long as the Pakistani politicians and decision makers and governments do not decide to play a real role to help the Palestinians, like other countries are doing, like Egypt, like Turkey, like, uh, like the United Arab Emirates, like Sudan, like Tunisia, like others, unless we do that, uh, I'm afraid this would be an exercise in futility and, you know, it, it would draw ridicule from friends and from people afar. Well, that was a very interesting wrap up from uh, you. You've uh, summarized all of it very, uh, uh, in a very uh, interesting manner. And I must add that uh, again, I think the crux of what you've said it uh, when it comes to Pakistan's efforts and its uh, ambitious uh, initiative to take Turkey and other countries along. The fact of the matter that all these countries which could play some sort of an influence do have some sort of a channel with Israel. Because if you don't recognize the other party, how are you going to exercise any sort of uh, mediation in between? So let I think me, uh, me, that, me, that is me, very important. Zeki, let me just add this. This is exactly yes, like this is exact. I just want to draw a parallel. This is yes. exactly like trying to resolve Kashmir conflict without recognizing or having diplomatic relations with India. Absolutely. Well, on it's that note, absolutely. I think that is uh, the takeaway for, for this program. And on that note, I'd like to thank you, Mr. Ahmed Qureshi, for your time and your patience during the recording of this program. And uh, I look forward to having you in the future as well. Thank you very much. I look forward, Zeki, and thank you very much. It's a really very nice, insightful discussion, and keep up your great work. Thank you so much.